0: Hello and welcome to our first episode of Safeguarding News. The whole purpose of these episodes is to have a chat with the Safeguarding Advisory Panel about what's been going on in the safeguarding world, how it impacts us and some ideas on how we can tackle them. My name is Vicky Chafe and I'm Head of Community Relations and Partnerships here at the Safeguarding Company. I'm also a previous DSL and I'm joined by Luke Ramsden. Luke, can you introduce yourself please?
1: Hello, I'm Luke Ramsden. I'm a safeguarding lead and deputy head at uh, St. Benedict's School in West London. And I'm also uh, on the safeguarding panel that supports the safeguarding company.
0: Who's actually chair of the advisory panel. (laughs) And so some highlights of today's episodes is we're going to talk about safeguarding pressures on DSLs. We're going to talk about how to look after yourself and your team. And we're going to look at the education of consent and what we can do to support our pupils.
1: So with this new safeguarding um, bulletin that we're putting out uh, regularly, the key thing for us is that we want to be able to condense what's going on in the news. So we don't want you to feel that over the holidays as safeguarding leads, you need to be reading through all the papers and finding what's out there. But having said that, there are lots of really interesting interesting things you can get uh, from the news and what's going on in the broad world. So I think that ability to pull these things together and just give you all a short sharp sort of bite of what's going on it's really good and one of the things you may well have seen in the press is the growing pressure on safeguarding leads and indeed you may be feeling it yourself so in the notes to this podcast we're going to put some of the articles that we're referring to but the key thing that strikes me for DSLs and has been in the news is really the sheer flood of information and cases which are coming to safeguarding leads and really there are two main factors in that first of all the flood of cases in that post-COVID period we're in, but actually, you know, moving forward into now the cost of living crisis era, you could now call it, uh, lots and lots of reports and um, uh, journals are talking about an in- ever increasing um, set of referrals, in particular to CAMs uh, with mental health issues, and that's not an issue that's going away. And a second related fact is the fact also that actually reflecting on the great job you're all doing. The fact that more and more things are being picked up, in particular with schools using um, digital uh, devices to record all these issues that are going on, so we have a double issue, if you like, for safeguarding leads of a, a, and a growing number of problems, but also that we're getting better and better at at uh, at noting them, and so. I just thought a couple of ideas, really, that I've had talking to other safeguarding leads of how we deal with this, because most articles simply end with, and this is a big problem. Yes. And I don't think it's very good to end it, just this is a big problem. So what can we be doing? The first thing that strikes me is actually leaning into the data. Any of you who might have seen me talking about these sort of issues will have heard me talking about if we use data intelligently, actually, we can really make it our friend. And something I'd really suggest you talking to your team, talking to your senior leadership about is actually how you can use data to uh, categorise what's going on, to filter down, to manage to prioritise things. And that's something that as a senior team I'd strongly recommend that schools do so that they're able to manage workloads for you as a DSL.
0: It also think, helps, doesn't it, when yes. you, you're looking at data, to be more proactive because it gives you the opportunity to be able to pick up trends and then you're able yes. then to arm your pupils to safeguard themselves.
1: Absolutely. And I think that that was uh, preempting exactly what I was going to say is also using that to actually it's an opportunity. You know, often difficulties might be seen as an opportunity to try and get your schools to look at resilience. And when you're talking to your senior teams, talking to your leaders, saying, well, OK, we've got this big issue and a growing issue. What we as schools need to focus on more is developing resilience, building up the schools and students' ability to think, well, times are tough, things are difficult. What can I do? Who can I turn to? What are the responses I can have on that? And so I think in a sense, a safeguarding lead rather than just thinking, oh, my goodness, this is all very difficult. If you like, spread that to the school and say to your head, say to your senior team, say to your governors, this is this broader difficulty. It shouldn't just be that I, as the safeguarding lead, have a bigger and bigger job. We need to, as a school, think of strategies to mitigate and manage these issues and that we need to have as a growing focus for our schools of dealing with this. And then just a final point to think about is also remember the word that both Vicky and I have used, the team. Now, in KCSIE, it always talks about the safeguarding lead, but I would strongly advise, if you don't already have it in your school, that you make sure that you have a safeguarding leads team and that you have a number of people who are level three trained, a group of people who are sharing your thoughts, are sharing your ideas. And so the point of this uh, bulletin is very much to give a few short, punchy takeaway ideas, Um, but hopefully this has given you a few thoughts. Um, do have a look at the articles that we've put out on that we're putting out on that Um, and really the key thing for me is to raise these concerns with your senior team spread the load of them and think about how you can mitigate these sorts of problems so that we're not just seeing lots in the papers about the problems that there are but really thinking about how do we solve this growing workload for safeguarding leads
0: absolutely and that Follows on now to, to our next point, which is about how to support yourself and your team, certainly with your wellbeing. As we've said, the workload is just ever increasing. As you said, we're we're becoming so good at what we do, those concerns are rolling in. Which is fantastic, and as you said, using a digital system means that it's more timely. Those days of you just getting them after school or before or before school are are gone now. Fingers crossed, yes. you know these—they're coming to you to you thick and fast, which is fantastic and exactly what we want to do. But what you need to do is you need to look after yourself as well and look mm. after your team because as safeguarding lead, obviously, you need to make sure that your team's looked after. And as Luke said. Even if you are a really small rural primary school, have more trained level three DSL trained staff so that you can have those conversations. Join in our safeguarding community where you can communicate yes. with other dsls and other safeguarding leads and have those conversations with people it's really important because both luke and i know what it feels like to come home where you're constantly worrying about that family you're constantly worrying about that child what's going to happen when you come in in the morning what's going to happen at the next child protection review and just having other people to talk to that know what you're going through is actually really important If you've got the budget for supervision, absolutely couldn't say how important having supervision is. You'll have heard Luke and I talk many a time on how infuriating it is that education is the only only sector that doesn't have statutory supervision, whereas if you're in police or if you're a social worker or a paramedic, dealing with the same kind of things that we're dealing with, it's mandatory that you have supervision. Um, and and having the correct supervision that's really really important. I'm also a safeguarding link governor and I think that Lean in on your safeguarding link governor making sure that they're trained enough to Mm. understand what you're going through so that they can be your advocate on the other side as well so when you're asking for budgets because you want to bring in a scheme that's more proactive you've looked at your data you know that there's a trend happening maybe with sexual harassment then having your link governor on your side to say yes absolutely i want to 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 support you I know how important it is is actually a real real relief to have have that person on your side as well and just being open and honest with yourself as well and if you you are struggling to manage or if you notice any of your team what is it that can can help you
1: I think the crucial thing you. about creating a community around you now especially if there's not that supervision whether it's you know a fellow deputy head and safeguarding lead who you get on well with to a group in the local community to but or to to, a, to an online wider one, but anything you can do to create a, a space to share these things. And I think that goes right back to what we started with this you know worries about burnout and you know real problems for safeguarding leads for heads as well was um, in the news over Christmas as well. And I think it's that you no know, sharing these issues, sharing these concerns. Um, is really important so so vital there so that we can look after ourselves so we can carry on looking after the students
0: absolutely because we can't look after the students if we can't look after ourselves
1: it's just that it's
0: the it's the the flight isn't it where you have to put your own oxygen mask on before you put others on that kind of that kind of thing we're going to move on now to consent And Luke, do you want to to talk about the education of consent and what we can do to support our children?
1: Well, there are two sets of things that have been really prevalent in the news over the last month or so. First of all, it's just really an astonishing series of concerns from organisations about issues with consent, whether it's fire brigades or police forces or um, army training bases. Uh, all sorts of issues of consent and big issues coming out in the adult world, if you like. Um, and it's absolutely clear to me that uh, education is the only way this can start to be resolved and in any sort of way. You now, it's quite clear that this is endemic in society. And I think it's interesting that while the, the Ofsted report on sexual harassment in schools put a real focus and onus on schools, in one sense, that was slightly unfair because what it really we can see is that it's society. On um, a book that I would really recommend to you, it's coming out in February, um, called We Need to Talk by Emily Hunt, who is a government advisor on this, um, made it really clear the way in which we need to talk to students about this. Um, because what I see in the press, in particular, you will probably all nod your head when I mention the name Andrew Tate, um, and this uh, idea of misogynism sort of embedded in society. Is that when we teach about consent? I think an absolute vital starting point for all of us is to talk about facts, because it's very easy to to and 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 you no, know, it's it's a very emotive subject to say goodness me, we have isn't it's really important that we you know we're nice to each other and talk in very emotional terms about it. And there's that's not a, a wrong thing to do, but also I think what you can get if you're you focus on the emotion of it is you can get boys pushing back and going. Well, hang on. Do you think I'm a bad person then? Do you you think that all men are bad? That sort of thing. And so I think dealing in facts is important. And there are two key things on that. I will declare my hand straight away. So I am um, involved in the school's consent project. I'm their chair of trustees, but I would recommend them to schools and in particular their approach. So what they do is they send legally trained um, people into schools, they're a charity, uh, they work with a lot of schools. And for me, the important thing they do when they teach about consent is they teach the legal facts about it and then say to students, these are facts you can do what, what, what you want with them. And so the kind of facts we're dealing with here and the kind of thing which means that, you know, if boys are saying, hang on a minute, is this not unfair? Are that really shocking ones? So, for example, um, a man is fifty-three times more likely to be raped than be to be involved in rape than be falsely accused of rape. So, if people say, "Oh, isn't this just going to mean that no, there's lots of false accusations," that it's vastly, vastly more statistically likely that people will get away with things than they'll be falsely accused. A really, no, an awful statistic, but one to have in our mind every hour. A woman is raped by a stranger in the UK is another statistic um, from this book we need to talk and every seven minutes a woman is attacked by someone she knows so I think if you talk about facts with students and you say there are in society across society there are awful, awful statistics about what's going on out there. This is urgent that we talk about it, not because I've got a particular agenda as a teacher or because I've got a particular... It's because there are facts about what's going on out there and you need to understand them. And that, to me, is really important because in the news, and um, you'll see in the articles that we've, um, yeah, we have were pushing out to you, is that there's quite a lot of focus on Andrew Tate. And the worry for me is the news agenda will move on. You know, I'm delighted he's been arrested. Um, I suspect that, um, that for all the uh, dodgy things he's being involved in in Romania, I think that I mean that that particular story gets shut down um, soonish. But it's important that just because he goes away, there'll be other people like that, and the problem will continue. And so, what it strikes me as teachers is that we keep our focus on the facts about broad society, and that we educate our children, whether it is bringing in an organisation like the school's consent project, whether it is um, using all sorts of other companies that will will provide resources or um, can give us uh, lesson plans that we can draw on, Um, but making sure that we're dealing with that factual way so that students are not being felt they're being preached to, which can often put them off, but they're, they're being told these are the facts, what do you think you should do about them? And very often students will then give a very sensible answer. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's another thing coming out of the news. And I think useful for you, and if you have the chance to look at some of the articles we've pushed out, being able to talk to your students about, let's say they say, but I like Andrew Tate and he said this, being informed, being able to address the specific things happening um, and that are talked about in press Mm -hmm. and online, is a powerful thing as well and what they what is what is um difficult is if a student says something and you have to say well i have no idea who they are and i don't really know what's happening and then instantly they can think well hang on a minute are you really able to engage with me do you really understand what's happening so yes in particular of the articles that we've sent out i'd highly recommend being on top of this issue um, for your students
0: and for me the whole andrew tate thing that's happened it's like an iceberg you know about andrew tate because he's a social media influencer but for the for the andrew tate that you can see there are yes. also a thousand there that you can't see that yes. are just as powerful and that are just as convincing to our younger people as he is and yes. um, i also think as well that it's important to try and bring the parents in and 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 educate them because these ideas and, and these, the way that people are treated, um, they they need to be informed to have those conversations with their children just as much as you do as well, so that you're tackling it from both sides.
1: Well, one of the links that we're sending out to you is actually a set of resources from a, company, a group called Bold Voices, and they've actually got a fantastic PDF presentation that you can send out to parents, oh. as well as something you can give to students. So, again, have a look at that. But that is something, if you haven't done this already, sending something to parents saying how, how they can engage with their children is, again, a really good idea. I couldn't agree with you more about bringing the parents into that conversation.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for joining us at our safeguarding news. I've been Vicky Chafe.
1: And I've been Lee Ramston.
0: And until next time, goodbye.
1: Bye.